As I said before, my name is Susie Park. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to have, um, you know, a time in the Word. Before I do that, I wanted to give a few updates for our church. Um, for those who are relatively new to our community, just to catch you up and bring you up to speed, for the last year we've been having um, kind of a long extended season of healing where our church has gone through different challenges in the past. And this whole entire last year, we've been kind of, okay, we're going to hit the brakes. We're going to stop all the programs. We're going to make sure that we get right with one another and with the Lord. And once that's settled, once we're on the, on the same page and we're ready to move on together as a unified body, then we're going to go full steam ahead. And so for the last year or so, it's been a very slow but very necessary process for us to heal from different things in the past. And so that's been very fruitful. And yet for those who you know are relatively new to our community and um, you yourself haven't gone through that process with us where you do need where you do need healing, I wanted to thank you guys for your patience. You know, it's not an easy thing to walk alongside a broken community that is seeking healing. And so for those of you who might have joined us just in the last year, and you came in and you're like wondering, what in the world is going on here? Um, is it always like this? And et cetera, et cetera. I just wanted to, you know, for a brief moment, just say thank you for your patience. Often, you know, the journey that we project in our minds of what healing looks like, the timeline of it, all of those things, it doesn't play out according to our plans. And we just need to be patient with one another. And so this is a season where now we're slowly shifting gears now into seeking the Lord and asking him for direction for our church. We cannot be in a healing season forever. We cannot be in a holding pattern forever. We can't be like, all right, just be patient with us forever. We can't do that forever. Um, we believe that this healing process is for a purpose, and that is to make us whole, to bring us together in unison so that moving forward, we can do so as a healthy church. And so currently, we're actually going through a season of praying for new direction for our church. And so some of our staff members, some of our elder board, we're taking the time to pray and seek the Lord together, having conversations that are difficult as well in order for us to discern together as a group and as a church um, how to move forward and what direction to take. Now, in the past, it would have been a fairly easy affair. One person decides where we go and everybody follows suit. And it was pretty straightforward. It was pretty fast. Um, and yet this is a different kind of season that we're going through where in order for us to move forward, we want to bring alongside the whole community as well. It would be really great if, man, I can call the shots and, all right, we're going to go this way. And then we all follow. But that's not the kind of season we're in. We're in a season where we're learning to become family where we talk with one another, we have dialogue, we ask difficult questions. And together as a community, as we move forward, it might be a little bit of a slower process than we're used to, but it is a much healthier process. And so we are in this process of kind of discerning together as a house, as a church, as a family, how to move forward. In the midst of this thing, there's part of a like tricky part of this process is that we need to make sure that before we move forward, we've kind of wrapped up, kind of like tied up loose ends, perhaps revisited some things that we need to have closure on and clarity on for us to be able to move forward. We can't just launch into a new season, 
just saying, you know what? What's in the past is the past. We're just going to move forward, whatever. Um, it's sometimes not as easy as that. We need to make sure that we process well the things of the past in order for us to move forward. And so um, something that I've personally been doing in the last couple months is revisiting some passages that actually shaped our church for the last 10 years. There's some very crucial passages of scripture that actually shaped our church and made it what it was. A few of those passages I can tell you right off the bat is Isaiah 61. No matter where we turn, Isaiah 61 just always will come up. Doesn't matter how long we've been doing this for. It doesn't matter if you know the passage or not. Isaiah 61, somewhere or another, is going to kind of creep back in. Same thing with Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Like it just keeps popping up somewhere or another. I believe it's just the Lord, you know, the Lord and his desire to see a church here that one, is dry bones that get revived and filled with the spirit. And second, that does that same kind of ministry outside of these four walls. So that's Ezekiel 37. Now, let me ask you a trick question. And this is a trick question because not a lot of people probably know this if you haven't been through a membership process. Do you know where the name New Philadelphia Church comes from? It's, it's yeah, it's, it's scriptural. It's biblical. It comes from two separate passages. The new part, it comes from Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19. It's, it talks about forget the things of the past. Don't dwell on the things behind you. See, God is doing a new thing. That's where we get the new from, where we are stepping into something new that God is opening up for us. The part of Philadelphia comes from um, Revelation, yes, I was about to say Philippians. Uh, Revelations chapter 3, where it talks about the church of Philadelphia, where it's a small church. Might, might not make huge waves out there, you know, in pop culture. It's a small church, and yet they're able to withstand persecution. They're able to go through hardships, clinging on to the name of Jesus, and he commends them for that. You might not be a powerful church per se, you know, not be the mega church of the day, but you have held on to my name and that I honor that I reward. And so that's where the Philadelphia part comes from. So as I've been going through this process of revisiting old passages that I believe still have a lot to do with what we're moving forward into, it's almost like this Easter egg hunt. No, um, um, you know, like, uh, uh, how to explain it. Like, mm, like, have you ever been hit by a passage of scripture, like in the face? Like, it's a very familiar passage of scripture. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know this one. And then there's something either that happens to you or happens around you where when you run into this passage again, all of a sudden it's very different. And you realize like, oh my gosh, I thought I knew this passage, but I don't think I did, or perhaps in this season means something completely different. And perhaps something that was talked about perhaps 10 years ago over our church, perhaps there's something still there that is relevant for us today that perhaps we kind of overlooked and we glossed over. And so something that we're going to be doing today, it's almost like retracing our steps in some way, revisiting familiar territory in order for us to find what it is that we need to take with us to move forward. 
Does that make sense? There's certain things we're going to have to leave behind. Like, oh, that's going to stay there. (laughs) You know, we're not taking that with us. But there's certain things, I believe, especially in certain passages, that we need to take the time and have the diligence to kind of sort through once again in order for us to take what we need for the next season. And so today we're going to be uh, talking about Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19. But before we do that, I have a video for you today. It feels like, you know, that special day when you're middle school and they're like, they wrote, did anybody have VCR? Like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not that old. Because sometimes people are like, what's a VCR? I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you roll the little cart into the room. Anyway. Um, so we're going to look at a, uh, watch a quick video together. It's super short, but you need to really be super focused on it. Okay. Like really, really focused. Can we actually turn off the lights? All right. This is an awareness test. You know it. Don't ruin it. For How many else. passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? All right, that's it. <laughs> Isn't that cool, though? See, the first time I watched this video, I was like, there is no way I missed that bear. Like, they must have photoshopped it in. So I actually, like, rewound it. Like, I didn't trust them to run it for me. Like, I actually went back to the beginning of the clip, and yeah, there he was. Or she, I don't know. But it was like a bear moonwalking right in the middle of everything. And it was, like, in plain sight. But I just didn't see it because I wasn't looking for it. I was so fixated on pass one, two, three, and four. And and I was so fixated on counting these passes that I completely missed out on something so blatant that when somebody points it out, you're like, I can't believe I missed that. How could I miss a moonwalking bear going through that entire scene? And so this is something that psychologists actually call inattentional blindness, inattentional blindness. So it's a failure to notice something that is completely visible because of lack of attention. So you can completely miss out on something extraordinary or very out of the norm happening right beneath your nose if you're not paying attention. So we're going to go into a passage that was foundational in shaping our church in the last season, and it talks about perception as well. What we're going to do with this passage is we're kind of kind of like zoom in first, and then we're going to zoom out so we can kind of see the whole. Did you catch that? What do you guys see here? There's a right answer. Okay, Jesus, yes. Some people don't. Not everybody sees it, right? Oh, slowly. These are the eyes. That's a nose. That's a mouth. That's a view. All right. (laughs) It feels like middle school right now. (laughs) Yes. 
So when you zoom it in though, right, you can't really tell what's what. And it's just slightly zoomed in. You can't tell what this is. You zoom out just slightly and you begin to see the picture, right? (laughs) Jacob, that took a long time. (laughs) All right. So we're going to be talking about the power of perception, the power of perception. So we're going to go into Isaiah 43. Give your Bibles with you. I encourage you to open up to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 to 19. Verses 18 to 19. So this is a very familiar passage for people who have been part of New Philly for a long time or anybody who's gone through um, our membership class in the past. This was first preached about in the year 2009, so about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, when we were embarking on a new season as a church. And this is the passage that reads this way. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So this is a passage, one of those passages that I was super familiar with because it's part of our name. And as a pastor and an employee of this church, I better know this passage, right? But I don't know, perhaps it's a journey that we've taken for the last 10 years where now that I revisit it, it means something completely different. And it's hitting me in a completely new way. Like this passage meant something to me in the past But now it means something very different. And if I'm not careful, I will gloss over it. And I'm going to miss something that the Lord is speaking about right now. So this is a part that kind of stuck out to me. Do you not perceive it? And my answer is, no, I don't perceive it. Right? So this is the thing about perception. We're going to go a little bit into nerd mode, okay? So perception, this is a dictionary standard definition of perception. It's capacity for comprehension, the process of becoming aware of something not always obvious to others, a belief or opinion often held by many people and based on how things seem. So it's different from reality. It's different from truth. It's perception. It's interpreted truth, interpreted reality. This is, now this is perception as defined by psychology. It is the way sensory information is organized, interpreted, and consciously experienced. While sensation, so feeling or seeing or hearing or smelling something, is a physical process, perception is psychological in nature. So it actually Although senses happen out here and has everything to do with what you're seeing, tasting, smelling, touching, perception actually happens in your mind. And there's two sides to perception. This is the psychology nerd side, okay? I'm sure, I I promise this will make sense. So there's two, two types and two sides to perception. One of them is bottom up processing. So perceptions are built from sensory input. So you see, touch, feel something, and that is translated through your senses to your mind. And that's bottom up. So starting from the object that you're perceiving to the perceiver, right? The second kind or the second side of it is top-down processing. How we interpret those sensations is actually influenced 
by our available knowledge, our experiences, and our thoughts. So, for example, if I were to give you an example of an apple, it's like, I don't know if you can see it all the way from the back, but there's an apple right there. It goes through your senses, whether you're eating it, smelling it, seeing it, touching it, whatever. And then from your senses, it registers in your mind. That's bottom up. But top down is actually when you have biases, you have things that you're looking for, you things, things that you like and dislike. For example, if you are allergic to apples, right? The way that you sense, even though it's the same eyeball and even though it's the same apple, the way that you perceive it is very different. So you're biased in certain ways. And so often when we think about perception, we think we're doing mostly this when in reality, there's a complete different side to it where it's top-down processing where where what you think the preconceived notions that you have about it the things that you're looking for even um, the negative or positive feelings that you have about something all those things will affect the way that you perceive you even if it's the same object so that's top-down processing so in all this why does perception matter it matters tremendously because it can it can either veer you to truth or it can veer you away from truth. What we perceive to be reality isn't necessarily what is true. If our bottom top, bottom up perception is what is happening, interpreted through the lens of our top bottom understanding of the God who redeems the mighty deliverer, the God who makes all things new, then our perception, our interpretation, what we walk away knowing and believing is completely different. Does that make sense? So we as Christians, we as people who believe in God and believe the word of God, we're called not just to perceive things bottom up through our senses, just with what we see in the natural, but we're also called to perceive things top down, not just through the lens of our preconceived notions, our experiences, our likes and dislikes, but through the lens of scripture. This is our ultimate lens. This is our, our ultimate top down lens that we perceive the world around us through. Now, this is supremely important especially in the passage of Isaiah 43. Let me give you a little bit of background regarding Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 is written, obviously, by the prophet Isaiah, right? And he is talking about, he's talking to the people of Israel about a captivity, first of all, that hasn't happened yet. He's talking about a captivity that is going to happen 200 years later, right? And he's also talking about a return from captivity that is going to happen then. This is 200 years in advance. 200 years in advance. So this is a, a painting, um, and it sh- it's titled The Flight of the Prisoners. And this is the people it was written for. 200 years before these people walked this path away from a burning city, the prophet Isaiah wrote down these words inspired by the Holy Spirit saying, there's going to be a day when you're going to be led into captivity and all you're going to see, all you're going to think is reality is destruction, hopelessness, dead end. There's nothing in front of us. There's nothing for us to live for. There's no future, no destiny for our nation. That's all you're going to be tempted to believe. But let me tell you this. God, in his time and in his sovereignty, he's going to open up 
away in the wilderness, away in the wasteland, in streams in the wasteland. In the moment when you're walking away from destruction, when this is all you see, this is all you perceive, this is all your senses can grab a hold of, you need to remember a greater truth. And that is that you believe in a God who's a redeemer, who's a restorer, who will bring you back into your land. And in that moment, you're going to not have to go by just your five senses. You're going to have to believe in the word of God and the character of God. This is why perception is so important. So these people who were walking away and turning their backs on their city that had gone up in flames, every building burned, every home ransacked, led by their captors into the desert, into a foreign land. And they didn't know how long their captivity would be for. They thought it might be forever. They wouldn't dream that within their generation, God would open up a way back to Jerusalem, that God would open up a way to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, rebuild their nation, essentially. And never, never in a million years with a dream that not 200 years from them, but 500 years after that, God himself would come down in the form of a man, walk among his people and fight not for their deliverance from an earthly kingdom called Babylon, but fight for their ultimate deliverance from the kingdom of sin and death. Never in a million years could they have dreamt of that. So this is why perception is important. Because in that moment, what needs to guide you is the word and the promise of God. In that moment where you're tempted to believe only the things that you see, the things that you hear, the pain that you're going through in that moment, more important than ever before, is it for you to cling on to the promises of God? Even when they were in Babylonian captivity, it was years of brutal slavery. It was not just politically and financially, but it was also psychological. It was also emotional. And you think in that moment, it's pretty straightforward. Tyranny is tyranny, you know? Like pain is pain. There's nothing to perceive, nothing to interpret. There's no interpretation necessary, but God was saying something very different. He said that while they're still in the midst of that exile, God is going to be doing something that will require sensitivity to perceive, to capture. God was working for them a salvation that would require attention to perceive. And in the midst of all this historical background and biblical background, I'm asking myself the same question. I'm asking myself the the same question on behalf of this church. Are we... In the midst of different things, and perhaps because of our previous last year or two, are we missing out on something that we could only perceive through the lens of God's promises? Is there something that will require our attention and our focus in order to perceive? Otherwise, we're going to continue to remain stagnant in the former things, and we're going to continue to dwell in the past, not able to move forward into the new things that God himself is opening up for us. When you perceive God doing a mighty work of deliverance, I want to encourage you. It's not just one isolated event of deliverance. In the case of the Israelites, it wasn't just about the Babylonians. It was from Assyrians, from 
over and over and over again. It could be from the Egyptians. It could be from Romans, from Assyrians, from Persians, over and over and over again. It's an entire history of a nation built on God's deliverance. And ultimately, it wasn't about this isolated incident or this one or this one. It was ultimately leading to greater deliverance that was yet to come. Every way God opened up a way in the wilderness was foreshadowing the one that would come, who is the way, the truth, and the life in the middle of the wasteland. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who came on behalf of this people. And he came not to deliver them from a military power, a political figure. He came to deliver them from an enemy greater than an empire built on the power of man. But it is the empire and the power of the reign of sin and of death. He was saving them not from a destiny of slavery greater than just what can happen in this short lifetime. It's not 50 years, 80 years of slavery. We're talking about an eternity of slavery. So what Jesus Christ came to secure for you and for me, it wasn't an improved life. It wasn't, man, a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose. Those things do come. But we need to make this very clear that Jesus Christ came to deliver you and me from death. It was nothing short of that. It wasn't like, oh, man, Susie's really struggling. Maybe I should go down and help her. It's like Susie is dead. There's nothing to help. She's dead. This is um, um, uh, um, an illustration that I like to give. Sometimes we think about God's salvation as like, you know, we're like in the middle of the ocean and we are drowning. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm swallowing water. I need help. And then Jesus comes along in a raft. You know, he's like, here, let me give you a helping hand. You know, and he pulls you into the raft. And that's what we think salvation is. Let me tell you something. Salvation is actually not you, you know, dog paddling, asking for help. You are a dead body floating face down. That's your state. That's your spiritual state. You weren't struggling. You weren't, you know, having a hard time. You were dead. And nothing short of resurrection could save you from that. It wasn't, let me improve and better your life. It was, you need resurrection. And that's what I came for. So you and I were dead and nothing short of the ultimate deliverance of God himself as he hung on the cross to bear the punishment that you and I deserved could save us. If it took anything less, I don't think Jesus would have died on the cross. I don't think God, the father would have turned his face away from the son. I don't think if it took anything less than that, they wouldn't have gone through that. And yet God saw the desperate condition of you and I of mankind. And he knew that nothing short of the death of his very own son could save and resurrect a people who had no future. So he paid for it through his blood on the cross. He foreshadowed our resurrection through his resurrection in an empty tomb. And he will consummate it when he returns once again for his bride. The Bible says that ultimately this deliverance, this ultimate deliverance at the end of time, it looks like this. Now the dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things 
has passed away. Forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making not one thing new. I'm making all things new. That is ultimately what God is after. A new heart, a new beginning, a new season, all of it points us toward one day when God will not only do one new thing, but he'll make all things new. That is what we're headed toward. So in light of that, when we look back on the passage that we're looking through today, when we go back to this passage, and even when we think about our current situation, not just as a church, perhaps this, uh, this speaks to you personally, where you're at right now, the struggles that you're facing right now, the wrestling that you're going through right now, the things that are hard to believe that God has done permanently in your heart because everything you see, all the results, all the fruit that you see are not encouraging are not instant, are not showing you, man, man, God's working right now. It's not always that clear. Let me encourage you with this. God is doing a new thing, whether you perceive it or not. Perhaps something that we do need to change is whether we're willing to perceive the new thing that God is doing. We let go of the former things. We don't dwell in the past. We choose to fix our eyes on the new thing that God is doing. It's springing up whether we believe it or not, and we're called to perceive it. So the first part, the first two lines, forget the former things, do not dwell in the past. Sometimes it could be past hurt. Sometimes it could be hopelessness. Sometimes it could be cynicism. Like, I've been hurt enough times. Like, I've done this before. Like, I've been there, done that. That kind of cynicism. Unforgiveness, that could be something of the past that we are called to let go of, perhaps disappointment. Maybe all these things, we allow them to become our top-down filter. And that is what doesn't allow us to perceive the new thing that God is doing. So these are the things that we're called, perhaps in your personal life, perhaps in your family life, perhaps in your work life, perhaps here in this church. These are perhaps the former things that we're being called to leave behind us. We, we can't move forward unless we do. The second thing is we're being called to truly see and truly perceive what God is doing in the here and in the now. Sometimes all you see is desert all around you, and you just need to listen closely for the trickle of a stream. Perhaps it's there. We're just not taking the time. We're not giving ourselves a space, and we're not using the right filter for us to perceive what's actually happening. Now, let me, let me say this uh, as a disclaimer. It's not about, the issue is not novelty. Because often in our younger generation, we say new is always better, right? As long as it's new and it's like hip, like, yeah, it's a good thing. It's not about novelty. It's not about newer is always better. The issue is actually having the eyes to perceive reality. It's not that novelty makes it good. It's that reality is something new that God is doing in that moment, uh, in that point in time. So the issue is not novelty. The issue is perceiving things rightly. And finally, this needs to be said because after all, there's an implicit, you know, forgetting and leaving behind you. And after all the perceiving that God is doing right now, there's an implicit invitation. It's not just like, oh, that's cool. That's a way in the desert. That's a path right there. Neat. Wow. High five, God. It's not just about looking at it. It's not just about like, oh, there's a stream in the wasteland now. 
It actually is an invitation to step into a season. Once you perceive what he's doing, he's not just asking us to look at it and admire it from afar. He's asking us to walk in it. The way in the wilderness, the path in the wilderness is actually a path for us to walk through. The streams in the wasteland, that's going to be sustenance for us to get through it. We're supposed to drink from the stream. We're supposed to walk in the way in the desert. So these are the questions that I ask myself and I want to pose to you as well. The first question is, what are the former things that we need to leave behind? This is not going to happen casually. This is not going to be just like an aha moment. It's going to take seeking the Lord in prayer. It's going to take discernment. It's going to take conversations. It's going to take a process for us to discern what are the former things that we actually do need to leave behind. This is part of the old season. We cannot take this into the new season. For Israel, it was very clear. Israel was coming out from captivity in Babylon. Number one, it was, you know, physical captivity, political captivity, so enslavement of your body. But it was also idolatry at the same time. It was enslavement, not of your body, but of your soul. So captivity and idolatry, those are two things that they were called to leave behind. And perhaps in some way or another, this is something that God is asking us to leave behind as well. It might look different. It might not look like you bowing down to a golden calf. It might not be as explicit. But whatever it is that our heart bends towards, whatever it is that dictates our decision-making, whatever it is that holds our affections, that is our idol. And perhaps that is something that we need to leave behind in order for us to move forward as well. In the past, I can tell you this with sureness. As a church, one of the things that we need to leave behind is this, um, is this arrogance and pride in our name as a church. This is something that we as a church need to own up to. There was a long season of great ministry success where that was like, I'm from New Philly, like... You better recognize, like, you know, like there's a sense of like the New Philly brand, like the New Philly way, the New Philly DNA. Like there is such pride in our name. How many times did we boast in the name of Jesus instead? That's my question, right? We boast, we're so busy boasting about our name, our brand, our church, that we took very little time to actually boast in the power of God himself. And so that is definitely something that moving forward, doesn't matter what name we choose to keep or we choose to take on, doesn't really matter. But whatever name it is, we better make sure that it is the name of Jesus that we are exalting in this church. And that is something that as a community, we need to make an, have an agreement, a covenant towards. Doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful we are. Doesn't matter how great our tagline is or our website is or our social media stream is. All those things are going to be secondary to the name of Jesus being glorified. And so that is one of the former things we need to leave behind that idolatry of a man made kingdom called New Philadelphia Church. We need to leave that behind. And if we don't leave it behind, My hope and prayer is that God would destroy this thing. Like, I would rather God crush this instead of us building an empire to exalt our own name, our own brand, our own church, without knowing that it's not pleasing to the Lord. So I'm hoping that God in his faithfulness would be true to the honor of his name, and he would not allow us. hope, you know, God, to crush us was a bit strong. Um, (laughs) So um, I'm just hoping, you know, God will be gracious and merciful and not allow us to go down that path again. That is 
something that somewhere deep inside, I fear, man, what if in this season we start getting bigger and we start recovering and we start getting numbers and you know, the next thing, you know, the next church, the, the church next door, man, like something great is happening in New Philly. And all of a sudden they're about New Philly, New Philly, New Philly. And like our head gets big and you know, like that's one of the fears that I have inside of me. But that's where this passage comes in. This passage that says, don't dwell in the past. That's behind you. You're going to be moving forward in a new way. And God will see to it. So second question was, what is the new thing we need to perceive? For Israel, it was God was opening up a way back to God and to his holy city. What is it for us? What is God doing in this season? And perhaps all of us, if we have... You know, 150 people here, there's 150 different answers here. What is God doing in this season? Maybe we need to take a season to discern, to ask God, what is it that you're doing here, like, right now? This is very, very important for us to camp out on because I've had this very interesting and recurring conversation with some people, and it's this. Sometime last year, different people would come up to me And they would say, I've never struggled so much with my faith. I've never felt so far from the Lord before. I'm I'm really wrestling right now. I don't know what's happening, but I'm I'm really struggling. Perhaps I never believed. Perhaps, you know, this, this, that was all there was. And that was just a blip. That was just, you know, a hype. and, And now this is really me. That could be true. Maybe, but let me offer you an alternate not just interpretation, but perhaps a right interpretation of it. My guess is that all the wrestling that we feel with the Lord is us finally coming to terms with needing our own personal relationship with God instead of banking on a collective faith that will help you ride through seasons. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes when there's so much faith in the room, you're like, Yeah, I'm so close with God. Like, I can hear God. I can feel God. I love his word. I'm so hungry. And that once the room leaves, basically, you're left with God. And you're left with whatever faith really is there. And so perhaps for the first time, you're realizing, I can't ride on somebody else's faith. I can't ride on somebody else's hype. I can't even ride on these programs or these titles or these different initiatives. I actually need to deal with the Lord. And perhaps that's not God's punishment, but God's mercy for us to finally be confronted with God and start to build a relationship of our own with him. That is, that is one of the beautiful things about us going through a broken season where although it hurts, it's probably the best thing that has happened to us in many years. Was place where we're confronted with where our faith was, where, where our hope was placed on, what was the name that we were truly worshiping, all of those things. We were confronted with that, and we had to deal with our idolatry. We had to deal with our lack of personal faith with God. And this is not condemning us. It's not God exposing us to humiliate us. It is God inviting us now to build something real, not to build something that is true. And so that's the second question. What is the new thing we need to perceive? If we don't have the right eyes to see, if we're not prayerful about it, perhaps we're missing out on something that God is actually doing in this season. Perhaps I'm asking some of the new people in the room. You find yourself here and you wonder why you're here. Perhaps it's a great question to ask the Lord. 
why, God, did you bring me here? Why did you bring me to Korea? Why did you bring me to this community? Why did you bring me to this workplace? Perhaps it's a great time for you to begin asking these questions of the Lord, and perhaps God will open up your eyes to perceive something new that you didn't catch before. The third question is, what does it mean to walk in the way of the desert and drink from the streams in the wasteland? So for Israel, coming back from the empire of Babylon, it was a long way back to their land. It was a long and gradual process of rebuilding. It required faith. It required courage. It required community. It required finances. It required energy. It required hope over and over and over and over again. When they didn't see the progress that they wanted as quickly as they wanted, it required faith over and over and over again. And perhaps this is a season that we are in as a community as well. It's not going to happen overnight. I wish it would. That's not the way often God works. It might be a season where we as a community need to walk together. We need to know that we're not alone. We need to know that we have one another's back. We need to know that we are building something together for the glory of God. It it will require some of us to believe again, especially people perhaps who have gone through hurt. It's going to require us to dare to dream again. And sometimes after a fall, it's very hard to get yourself to that place to dream again. I say this, uh, if we can have Pastor David come back up. I say this because this is something that happened just this past week. I was kind of just, you know, browsing through and and looking through uh, like old Facebook posts and things like that. And I kind of came across some of our old missions videos. Some of our old missions videos where we would send out multiple teams out in the year. And we would see God doing like incredible things out in the mission field. And it was one of those things where you know it's, you can't fabricate it. Like you can't. Like we would see God's fire falling in entire communities. People coming to salvation. People coming to repentance. Verified healings. Things like that that we had no box for. We weren't like, it's because they framed it this way and they asked people to do that. No, it was like very clear, a divine supernatural move of God. And I was just watching this video and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this was our church. Like this is what once used to be very normal. It used to be so normal for us to experience the tangible presence and power of God in our midst. And this is something that I want to believe is not just of the past, but something for us to begin to dream into for the future as well. A community that is so surrendered to the spirit of God. So like, so confident in his ability to do increasingly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So confident in his goodness and his mercy and his compassion in his power to restore, in his redemption, a community so confident in the power and the character of God that we begin to dream for these things once again.